0: Welcome to Sliceonomics. I'm your host, Kyla Scanlon. Sliceonomics is a podcast that focuses on the complexity of economics, media, culture, and looks at it through a human-focused lens, looking beyond numbers and into the nebulous of everyday lives and how they're shaped by these big thematics around us. Sliceonomics is in co-production with public.com, an investing platform that allows people to invest in stocks, ETFs, treasuries, crypto art collectibles, and more all in one place. Scan the QR code right here on the screen or check out the link in the episode description box to learn more. Today, we're speaking with Stephen Kelly, an alumnus of the University of Wisconsin and the Yale School of Management. He is the Associate Director of Research at the Yale Program on Financial Stability, and his work focuses on financial crises and systemic risk in the United States. He writes the newsletter, Without Warning. We talked about the anatomy of risk, what everyone got wrong about SVB, and how that instability still appears in the banking system, how crises happen, and what we can learn from them. I hope you enjoy the episode. So, hey, Stephen, it's so great to have you on here. Um, super excited to talk about financial stability and all of the other things that you do. It's a really interesting time to be in that space, considering all that's going down, I think, with like fiscal and all that and more. So I want to get into all that and, and talk about it. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to read you your Twitter bio. You're the <laughs> associate director of research at the Yale Program on Financial Stability, financial crises, and how to fight them. You write a really wonderful Substack called Without Warning. Um, could you provide a brief background of what you do and how you got into it?
1: Yeah, sure. I've never had my Twitter bio read to me. It's like <laughs> it's like being deposed. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So we are really focused uh, at the L program on financial stability. We're we're sort of a, a small shop in, inside the school of management, really focused on crisis time policy. So, you know, there's a lot of international institutions, you know, thousands of great economists working on prevention. And then you kind of say, okay, well, how many of you are working on what happens when prevention fails? And there's really no political capital inside, you know, official institutions to to spend too much time on that and it's sort of like the first rule of crisis fighting is don't talk about a crisis. Um, So we have, we have political independence really to sort of think about those things uh, mainly because all the policies are really, really unpopular that work in a financial crisis, like to to restart the financial system and restart a bank. um, You know, you're talking about putting money into banks and like letting the bankers who screwed things up, keep their jobs because they know where all the bodies are buried and, And, you know, maybe not limiting executive compensation because that causes stigma to anyone taking assistance and you want them to take assistance and things like that, you know. Um, So that's kind of our focus is really um, what do you do in a crisis and let's have a playbook under glass. Okay, you want to you want to inject capital into a bank or you want to do a massive emergency loan. How do you structure it? What actually works? Um, And so that's kind of where, what we're thinking about. And, and obviously we've been, we've been busy. I mean, when I started this work, we were still dissecting 2008 and then all of a sudden it was 2020. um, And now obviously 2023, we we sort of got an old fashioned banking crisis again. So um, we're we're sort of, we're thinking about those things as well.
0: Yeah. And I want to talk more about your background, but um, just to Talk about SVB, you know, this banking crisis that happened earlier this year. I was at a dinner this weekend and somebody was like, well, I don't like that. That was a government funded, you know, taxpayer bailout. And so uh-huh. when people say things like that about bailouts or protecting the financial system, how do you respond? Like what what actually happened with SVB? And was that a bailout? Um,
1: God. <laughs> the word bailout is just, it, it's so Glad charged. It. I would say, you know, the annoying answer, and maybe this is an academic answer, but it depends on who you want to know if they got bailed out or not. Yeah. Um, so, so many of the, you know, their uninsured depositors got bailed out and there were some unpopular ones in there. Like the biggest one was this crypto company called Circle. Uh, they had $3.3 3 billion, obviously well over the $250,000 deposit insurance limit and all depositors got got protected. Um, And the the FDIC sort of bore those losses. You know, the US government bore those losses. There's a question of whether it's taxpayer dollars because the FDIC is funded by banks, actually. Um, But so you could say, okay, Circle got bailed out and you can go crazy cynical and say crypto got bailed out. Um, But then you can also think about the person with $251,000 who got rescued, Uh, But if you were a stockholder, you got nothing. I mean, and and there were some debt holders who got nothing. Um, So like the word bailout sort of implies like somebody with a ton of money who didn't deserve it is getting money. And obviously it's more nuanced than that. Um, But the bank failed. I mean, the execs, the execs are gone. The bank is gone, you know, in its old form. Um, So as far as like the biggest thing with these government funded bailouts is well, are you causing moral hazard? Are you causing bankers to think that the government's always going to be there for them? And we really don't see that. I mean, there's just so much shame in being the exec of a failed bank. Like there's so much shame in being, you know, the person who made copies at the failed bank. Like if you have Lehman Brothers on your resume, it's just a hard thing to overcome. It's like, oh, you know, you're toxic. So there's not a lot. I don't think there's as much moral hazard as people make it out to be when there's a bank rescue because – your bank still kind of failed, right? I mean, and everybody knows it. Um I, I you know, the SV I get I get all these ads on LinkedIn still for SVB trying to make me a loan or get me a deposit saying, "Hey, we're still in business inside this other bank um that bought mm-hmm. them out." But that's a hard I mean, that's really hard. Like they yeah. it's such a toxic brand.
0: Yeah. And they, they were bought out by JP Morgan Chase, right?
1: They they were bought yeah. by um First Citizens.
0: Okay. Okay. So yeah. what was J.P. Morgan's role in that? Or did they have so a role?
1: J.P. Morgan bought First Republic.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I got the banks mixed up. Yep, um, yep. Okay. okay. Well, so- I
1: mean, and, and so did the market, right? I mean, those yeah. banks are, are the same. You know, as far as the market was concerned in March, those banks are the same. And, right. and same with Signature. Um, for better or for worse, they sort of had that affiliation with each other that just didn't look good.
0: Yeah, and when people talk, like a lot of people point to J.P. Morgan, um, and I guess for citizens as well as purchasing these banks. And I feel like this is a question you get asked quite a bit. But it, you know the worries of the monopoly in the banking system, or some yeah. sort of oligopoly where these big banks are getting bigger and bigger. Uh, do you feel like that contributes to systemic risk, or are these big banks so big that they're ultimately protected? Uh,
1: I'd say we're we're a far, far ways away from a world in which we have too few banks um you know in the us we have 4500 banks 4500 credit unions i mean it's it's just too many um and competition in banking is a little different because you want you want competition like you know to make the best coffee and a place that makes you know bad coffee you want to fail right um and let a better coffee shop come up in it's in its wake right and and we sort of can't think about banks like that because of what they offer is such a public good i mean you wouldn't want like i mean think about the think about an election and the way we like have governments we don't have a government straight up fail and and when there is one who does like that's a total crisis right it's a catastrophe and that's obviously the extreme of a public good like imagine like you know january 6th or something like that it's a disaster right? right um So to have a bank, you can't just have like, be like, oh, well, I want JP Morgan to fail because there's, you know, SVB is a more innovative bank, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, well, you're talking about trillions of dollars of daily transactions, basically, you know, a utility-like thing underpinning the economy. Um, And it's worth noting, too, the regulations are super strict on banks. You know, supervision is not something that exists in other industries to the extent, you know, there's not like supervisors sitting at your local coffee shop, like being like, oh, I wouldn't have made the coffee like that, you know? Um, and so we're a lot, you know, competition just can't be thought of in banking the way it's thought of in other industries. And part of the trade-off for that is, okay, we have these federal regulations, we have supervision to sort of compensate for what would otherwise be a lack of competition. And the other thing to remember is think about the situation of the last few months where so much of the narrative is, oh, people are pulling money out of their bank and putting it in another bank. Well, take competition to the, take lack of competition to the extreme. Imagine there's one bank. I mean, you have nowhere to go with that money. Like the, there, there can't be a deposit run unless you are stacking cash, like, you know, in shoeboxes in your closet, uh, because there's nowhere else to put, put that money. So there, that's sort of a, you know, an issue too, is like, okay, we have all these small banks that aren't actually that stable. And then, you know, some sort of macro nudge comes along and people pull their money and the bank blows up.
0: Yeah. And when you talk about this idea of competition between banks, how do you square that with the banks being publicly traded on the stock market? Like is that something that you think makes sense considering they can't be that competitive or how do you Yeah, think about I mean that?
1: They're, they're still competitors in the sense of like okay, we want them to be the most profitable. I mean they're they're still competing on profit and you know I'm sure our conversation is going to go this way of like whether too big to fail, like where that comes in. And if you're saying like, okay, neither JP Morgan or bank of America can fail. How much competition is there really? But they're still trying to mint money. I mean, especially, you know, they got to make bonuses and there's all these expectations um, in finance. Uh, So there's certainly still competition. I mean, the, the challenge for government is okay. Can we cut off the left tail? Can we say we're going to, we're going to prevent a systemic crisis. Uh, You know, we're going to prevent that being the mechanism to pick the failing banks. And we're still going to encourage competition and capitalism and the best credit underwriting and the best services for customers. And there's, there's a way to do that. Right. I mean, banks in theory should be able to kind of fail slowly. um, And that's where you want competition to come into play is like, okay, you know, think about like, some some problem bank deutsche bank in 2016 or like even credit Suisse like a year ago um mm-hmm. you know maybe credit there's a world in where credit Suisse i mean it was kind of just failing slowly right it, it 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 sort of blew up you know very romantically in march amongst all these other banks but there is a story there is an alternate reality where it sort of just fails slowly because it was bad at banking like <laughs> it was just bad at avoiding scandal um and that's sort of how you want banks to fail
0: yeah. And like when we look outside the banking system too, it feels like pockets of systemic risk are popping up with like hedge funds, you know, private credit or private equity turning into private credit. How do you mm-hmm. think of that where it's no longer banks maybe loaning out, but private credit swooping in and talking to your local HVAC company and offering them a loan? Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's a risk. I mean, I would say that there's, there's an advantage to banks being the safe ones. So, so much of the story is like, okay, you know, we're putting new regulations on banks. And so all this funding is moving outside of banks. Yeah. To some extent, I don't think that's just a wash of like, Oh, we're just losing sight of the risk. Um, There's benefits in banks being the safe ones because I mean, banks keep the deposit ledger banks, you know, the, the entire economy outside of cash runs on bank payments. Even if you're using a credit card, like ultimately a bank is sending a bank payment. Even if I, you know, take my money out and go invest of a bank and go and invest in a hedge fund. They're using a bank. Um, they put the money in them, right? I mean, the dollars can't leave sort of banks, which keep this payments ledger that we use in the economy. Um, so there's value in them being the safest. The other thing that, that banks can do that no other company can do is they can raise money in zero seconds. Um, they can write a loan to me or you against the value of our house and how are they going to fund it? Well, they're going to make a deposit account for me or you. So I want a hundred thousand dollar loan. I go to them. They write me a hundred thousand dollar loan. That's now funded by my hundred thousand dollar deposit at that bank. That is something that nobody else can do. So everybody else has to go to market, which is hard in a crisis, you know, raise funds in the market, which is hard in a crisis. You have to go to a bank for a loan, which takes time, takes credit underwriting and, um, you know, best case scenario, you're getting funds the next day. And in a crisis, that's too late. So to the extent you can have banks say, yes, there's money in your account now to a big institutional fund, or a bank can use its, you know, highly rated balance sheet and say, hey, we're just going to guarantee your trading position. You're a hedge fund, we're just going to guarantee it. Um, That's something that's unique to banks, again, as publicly traded and highly rated the flip side of that is, if a bank loses its investment grade rating, all hell breaks loose. Uh, mm-hmm. So they can only lend out their balance sheet so much. But that that is unique to banks, and that that's what makes it important, I think, to or makes it still a net financial stability benefit to pushing risk out and out of the banks and making sure mm-hmm. the banks are safe.
0: So you're saying that there's a benefit to pushing some of this off to the hedge funds, private mm-hmm. credit, et cetera. Okay. And, yeah, and- exactly,
1: and that and that's really what banks are are good at. Like, bank what banks do best is lend to other financial companies. I mean, yeah, it, So to the extent we can push banks roll up, you know, make them more senior in in sort of the economy, um, senior as in like more protected, senior in the capital stack. Uh, that's beneficial. So you can imagine, do we want a bank making a distressed loan to a like a a retail like a mall? or do we want a hedge fund to do that because they're super good at credit underwriting and where does the hedge fund get the funds? It gets it from the bank. So now the bank is protected by a layer mm-hmm. of, of equity at the hedge fund, its own layer of equity. So it's, it's sort of one step removed for the bank. It sort of makes the bank one step more senior uh, because you know hedge funds and private equity firms, they got to get the money from somewhere too. And, mm-hmm. and what we see is they're leaning on their banks a lot. Um, you know, What's called prime brokerage it has been booming basically. Um, And that's just really a natural output of like, okay, we're going to regulate the banks and we're going to regulate how much credit extension they can do. Um, So they just, they do collateralized loans to the hedge funds and the hedge funds go out and do the credit stuff that they're supposedly so good at. Um, And, you know, oftentimes it works. Like the Apollos of the world are really good at private equity investments and the banks just like aren't as good at that stuff, but they're really good at lending to the Apollos of the world.
0: Yeah. Uh, So is this like an unbundling of how we would traditionally think of banks? Like, do you think the more that we can do this stuff, the the better? Yeah, I mean, to
1: some degree, the risk is always that you lose track of where the risks in the economy are. But uh, the analogy, I think, is the like pre-COVID supply chains. So we're sort of building our pre-COVID supply chains in the financial system, which was like, let's be super efficient. Um, It makes the most sense to... Manufacture good in Vietnam and then do the next step in China and then do the next step in Malaysia and then we send to the US for something and then it goes supply else, right? And what we found out during COVID is like, okay, if you put up dividers in between each step, now your supply chain is totally messed up and you can't get stuff from point A to point B. And you know, there's maybe an advantage to having a wholly domestic supply chain. So the analogy to that in the in the finance world is okay, you know. The amount of equity that's willing to go into finance is fixed. There's some fixed amount of bank capital that the whole economy is built on. Like there's only so many bank equity investors, right? And then banks lever up and they lend to other people that have their own equity investors. So to the extent you can economize on sort of a fixed amount of equity that's in finance, economize meaning, okay, the banks aren't as good at this as Apollo. You know, they can lever up more, and hedge funds can go like 200x leverage in a way that banks can't, and and it works for them most of the time, right? Um, that's sort of the more efficient supply chain. But then the analogy is okay. You have the banks lending to somebody, lending to somebody, lending to somebody, lending to somebody. Okay, now there's a crisis. Where's the money? How do we get the money from the Fed to one of these entities? Um, the Fed, you know, the Fed only knows the banks. Regulators can only see the banks. So that, I think that's, you know, that's sort of the COVID scenario where you, you've now put up walls or you realize you need you need the banks to be in the economy because that's who can get money from the Fed. And you go, well, shoot, they're not they're not actually doing the lending. Um, so that's a challenge, I think. Is, and that's sort of I mean, it's changed the nature of Fed interventions to some degree already. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's the analogy is you have this rock this super efficient, rock solid supply chain versus, OK, is it more fragile? When, yeah. when the barriers go up.
0: Yeah, and there's so many nebulous parts, I feel like, to the work that you do. Like, what's another thing that you're watching that feels risky or feels like like it could be an issue moving forward, like this as well as something else?
1: Yeah, I would say a couple of things. I mean, one is the, the March bank runs have sort of been characterized as a run on unrealized losses from interest rate hikes. And, you know, that interaction with uninsured deposits and those things made the run worse. Uh, but the run we saw, like the, the, the banks weren't random and it wasn't the run didn't happen as soon as we found out about the unrealized losses or the mm-hmm. uninsured deposits. It happened. You know, we sort of had this tech crypto recession yeah. uh, that had really caused a natural deposit runoff. So like so much of the question is about what's the loyalty or the stickiness of your depositors. Well, you can have infinitely loyal depositors, but if business is bad, they're just going to run out of money. And that's sort of what we saw in tech and VC. And then SVB comes out and says, look, our, our clients are burning through money um, and we tried to raise capital and we couldn't do it because, you know, who wants to lend to a tech bank in 2023 with rates at 5%, right? Mm-hmm. So the business model is sort of clearly broken. You get a run on that bank, you get a run on banks that look like it. Um, and we never really saw a spread like it, it, all the banks that had problems even like the ones that had problems into the summer pack west and whoever else we had all those names right away in march like the resolution took longer or could last longer in some cases but we never got like new banks it wasn't like june came along and we we're like oh my god morgan stanley's going to go down um so it really wasn't a run on Uninsured deposits, which could take down every bank in America. And it wasn't a run on unrealized losses. Those those factors made life harder for SVB, but that wasn't the run we saw. The flip side of that is that run is sort of still out there. Like the Fed kind of keeps surprising to the upside. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Bank, bank of America is sitting on like $130 billion of unrealized losses. Uh, not that Bank of America is next. You have, again, you have a better franchise. You have a bank that can raise capital compared to SVB. But that gets more and more fragile as the fed, if the fed has to go higher than we think that run is sort of still out there it's not a base case but it's out there so that's that's a risk i think is that nothing's really changed about that part of the story and if anything it's gotten worse than expectation um hmm. so i think that that's kind of a big risk that that you know i'm watching the banking system
0: yeah and it seems like the fed is planning on pausing but they keep on like playing with the idea. They're like, we could hike if we wanted yeah, to. Right, and right. So if if they do that, like, do you feel like that could be, or would it be like 500 basis points more of hiking that we would start to see the cracks really begin to form?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to say exactly where it, it would happen, um, but we probably need something else. I mean, that, that's the thing too, yeah. is you need one other spark or whatever. And, and, It could be a recession. I mean, to the extent we're talking about why SVB, why First Republic, why Signature? Well, you had a crypto tech recession. I mean, when you have a recession, it's bad for the banks. So when you have a recession in an industry that just those banks are focused, that those banks exclusively focus on or over focus on, that's going to be bad for those banks. If we have a macro US recession, that's going to be bad for some banks. And so if the Fed has to keep hiking into that scenario because of inflation, I think then we start to worry about which banks. I mean, if if the Fed can't offset with interest rate cuts, I mean, there's a risk we get another SVB weekend. I I still think to the extent this thing risks like going systemic, meaning like, okay, now we are worried about Bank of America. I think at that point, the Fed can probably cut rates no matter what's going on with inflation, because to the extent you're talking about a big bank like that, it's hugely deflationary but we could get another svb weekend where we sort of have a regional bank you know that really gets squeezed by a combination of recession and, and interest rate risk like yeah. we've had a lot of interest rate risk the credit risk thing is still kind of out there
0: yeah and when you say credit risk can you explain what that means
1: meaning like well a lot of people have been talking about commercial real estate but really just yeah. losses you know on on assets that are driven by inability to to pay back loans and assets and it it's slightly different than you know, a, a, a pricing change based on interest rates, um, you know, which which sort of revalues everything to the downside, Um, the credit risk story is really, okay, now we have defaulting customers. Yeah. Or even the perception of it. I mean, that that's the thing too. Like a lot of AAA MBS paid out over time, but the perception of it is enough to, to take down a bank.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, during this SVB debacle, we saw a lot of activity on, on Twitter, like where yeah. VCs were tweeting and Freaking out. Do you feel like social media risk is something like even Bill Ackman and his undoing a short or whatever? Like, yeah. do, do you think about that? Uh,
1: I don't think it matters to the extent it's gotten credit. Uh, I, I would be more impressed by by Twitter's ability to cause a bank run if any of these banks had been random. Uh, you know, if like Elon tweeted something and all of a sudden Goldman failed, like, yeah, then I would get it. I'd be like, OK, okay yeah, like this is a problem that bank supervisors need to be thinking about. But like none of the banks that it happened to were random. Yeah. The other thing to say is like shorts are always loud on Twitter and stuff doesn't happen. Uh, I mean, the Credit Suisse scenario started on social media in October 2022 and the bank didn't fail till till March. Um, So it's. I'm skeptical of looking at a systemic crisis and saying, oh, because we saw tweets, therefore it must have been contributing to the run. I mean, the other thing is like Twitter is really like, I don't think that corporate treasurers are like getting their information first from Twitter. Um, I think they're probably hearing about their bank, you know, before it goes viral on Twitter. And that's really how bank runs happen. Like we we don't really have the old quaint bank runs anymore where people go line up and get their get their ten thousand dollars back because we have deposit insurance um so bank runs really are institutional and institutional bank runs just don't happen because of twitter and because of banking apps like amazon is not withdrawing 300 billion dollars on the treasurer's phone like it's just not happening that way um, so maybe it, maybe it matters at the margin for retail, but I, I don't see it really changing the story for what was ultimately just bad banks.
0: Yeah, yeah. No risk officer at the bank. Right, kind of banks. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so, for you, like, how did you how did you get into this? Like, what is what's so exciting about risk? And like, I mean, obviously, it's very exciting, but for you, like, what's so exciting about it?
1: I, I mean, it really, it was two thousand eight, and that yeah. response that you know, there, there's sort of a famous story. Um, for people who have seen the movie or read the book too big to fail, there's a famous story where um, it's right after the fed rescues AIG for the first time, they do an $85 billion loan. Um, That's a crazy story, by the way, they had like literal collateral in shopping carts, like down the street, like briefcases, it was like an, um, to get like physical securities to the fed. So they were protected. Um, Crazy story. But anyways, so the fed lends $85 billion overnight um, to AIG, an insurance company, and Ben Bernanke is is talking to some senior folks in Congress about this. And Congressman Barney Frank says, "Where did you get eighty five billion dollars?" You know, and Ben Bernanke says, "I have eight hundred billion dollars." Uh, you know, because the Fed has an infinite amount of money, right? And, and so, but very much that attitude and that that sort of truth really drew me to this of like, okay, there's a lot that can be done. There's a lot of interesting policies sort of that can happen in a crisis. And we're talking about the difference between, you know, a run of the mill recession and the great depression. I mean, if you, if you superimpose the policy decisions made during the great depression over 2007 and 2008, we probably have a worse depression. Um, And so it was really I mean, a lot, it was a lot of wandering around in the dark back then, but they did a much better policy response. And so to the, to the extent we can improve upon that, um, I mean, the other thing is that there's basically always a financial crisis going on somewhere in the world. I mean, this is sort of the IMF's uh, reason for existence still. <laughs> a lot of it is sovereign debt, which is a little bit different. You know, that's a lot of what the IMF deals with is sovereign debt crises. And we kind of don't think about that as much, although, you know, people have been thinking about it more in developed markets. Um, But there's sort of always a financial crisis. And so the idea that like we can write down some rules on a piece of paper and say, OK, we've stopped all financial crises is just I mean, it's a fantasy. So there's there's just huge economic gains to thinking about crisis fighting and what happened, you know, how you can arrest a crisis. And so that was really the appeal, I think, more than like, OK, I'm going to write some paper that's going to help add like point one percent to consumption GDP or whatever. You know, it's like this is like a huge first order problem that we shouldn't be skipping over to get to fancier economic problems.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so do you think like, if we, so is there a world where we do solve all of this or is it just no. like human nature? Yeah. To never. Solve yeah, I mean, it?
1: it's human nature and it's, it's the structure of banking. I mean, uh, I would say best case scenario, you know, you're taking the crisis risk from half a percent to, you know, one third of 1%. Like that, that's kind of the, the goal, but also it's, really what where we have been making big strides and what we're focused on here but you know strides started before we before we started in fairness is can you arrest the severity of a crisis right. and the attitude has just changed so much i mean there was so much in the depression that was like oh you know recessions are good the gold standard is good because it sort of drives out bad businesses and things like that. you still get a little bit of this attitude, people saying the Fed should hike more to get rid of zombie companies and things like that. Um, But there, there's just, there's just huge gains and, you know, allowing some financial stress to play out. But again, can you cut off that left tail? Um, Because when you have a financial crisis, even 2008, where, the left tail eventually got cut off i would say you know we avoided a great depression which we should have had based on the financial you know indicators Jeez. alone but it it was still really a, you know horrible recession and you still get things like donald trump that come out of that right i mean there's just so many social gains to be had from avoiding a severe crisis i mean it it's just not a linear relationship of ills from a recession to a really bad recession it, it yeah. really goes nonlinear all the you know, social ills that come from a severe um, crisis relative to sort of a run-of-the-mill recession. Yeah. And So to the extent you can arrest, you can arrest, you know, a financial crisis at the point of, okay, moderate recession or no recession, um, you know, you can provide a lot of economic and social value.
0: Yeah, the economics, like the social value, I think is sometimes not talked about as much as like, how do we, you know, just make sure people are okay, because if they're not okay, it really shows up. Um, and this will be my last question. Uh, and it's a silly one, I guess. But like, do you think that we're headed towards a recession? Uh, I don't know. Uh, again, I would say like,
1: I, I would say I don't know if, again, we're talking about are, are you talking about 5% negative, like negative, negative 0.5% GDP growth? I have no idea. Like I, we honestly could be in one already the way GDP gets revised. Um, you know, we just don't know for several quarters after often if we're in a recession. Um, but, you know, talking about, I can talk a little bit about, are we at risk of a severe crisis? And, and you know, I, like I said, I think the, the, the Tinder is out there a little bit. But I, I don't see the policy response dropping the ball, especially because so much of the banking stress we're in now, again, putting March aside in those banks that were, that were special in the way that they were, so much of the stress we're in now is about the level of interest rates. And that's unique, I think. you know When we're talking about like a 2008, which was so driven by toxic assets, or we're talking about 2020, which is so driven by this pandemic and 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 this economic shutdown cutting interest rates which the fed is great at um really didn't wasn't going to do anything like it wasn't going to make you feel better about subprime or securitization in 2007 and it wasn't going to make you feel better about the pandemic in 2008 it can do a lot you know like it very mechanically reprices every financial asset um so to the extent you can cut interest rates The Fed really has a nuclear option on a severe recession right now, um, which I think is is good. And you know, the other question is like, you know, the other reason this question of are we going to be in a recession or not is hard is the Fed is maybe willing to tolerate one right now um, in a way that they're not always. You know, like in in 2017, they're just not willing to consider recession risk, and right now they have to think about inflation. And so there's a chance that they say, all right, you know, yes, we got, a, we got a quarter of, of negative growth, but that's kind of the reality of fighting
0: inflation. Yeah. Makes it harder. Yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> um, well, good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> there's really no way to to talk about it without being like, I don't know. And I think that's the really hard part about economics is that a lot of it is just, I don't know, but I think, right.
1: Yeah. And it's, I don't know, but what can you do in the event of such? Mm-hmm. And, and that, I mean, that's the important thinking is like, are you prepared for those kinds of environments?
0: Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Stephen. This has been a great talk. Where can people find all your work?
1: Um, you can Google the Yale program on financial stability. We have all kinds of things. Um, I have, as you noted, a substack without warning mm-hmm. research.com, um, which is always free. And then I'm on Twitter still. Um, I might be one of the last people i'd be the last one i think on twitter because i i get too much value out of it um that's stephen kelly 49
0: awesome thank you